Welcome to the Danger Room. <laughs> the X-Men Commentary Podcast. Shoot. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to today to discuss uh, a couple of things, actually. We're going to start off, we're going to kick it off with a Marvel fanfare number one, the March 1982 issue, which was on sale December 15th of 1981, and uh, this one's called Fast Descent into Hell. It's no coincidence, or maybe it is a coincidence, that on the cover of this issue, there's a pterodon with Spider-Man in his claws, and behind him is Angel. What do you mean? Why would that be a coincidence? Well, I mean, X-Men and pterodons, they're no strangers to one another. Well, it's true. Especially men who turn into pterodons. Well, we wouldn't be doing this issue if it wasn't related to some sort of X thing. And and I guess the reason we're doing it is because it's in the omnibus. <laughs> well, and Angel's on the cover. Well, yeah. And, you know, we were going to, we would probably end up doing it as a backup story to one of our issues, but we read the series and we'll, we'll, we're going to try to gonna try to put it together. But in the omnibus, it happens right after X-Men Annual Number 5. Oh, sweet. So uh, on the cover of this, or not on the cover, but inside, uh, we, we, well, let's do the credits here. Chris Claremont wrote it. Uh, Michael Golden drew it. He did, um, Avengers Annual number 10. Yes, he did. He did not do X-Men uh, Annual number 5, though. Although there was some confusion of that. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Jim Novak was the letterer. Michael Golden also colors his own work. And as I've commented in the past, I like it when he does that. Uh, Alan Milgram's the editor and Jim Shooter's the editor-in-chief. I actually feel like his artwork is a little stronger here than in Avengers Annual 10. But um, Yeah, it's good. For the most part, he's he's pretty much the same, but I feel like he's tightened it up a little bit, a notch or two. So uh, we kind of get a preview of what's to come on this first page. It's got a, a well, a pterodon who's wearing a, uh, a loincloth. Uh, there's a like a caveman here with yellow hair and a knife. Both these figures are very familiar to me, but I just can't put my finger on it, Adam. The caveman looks distinctly French. He does. Uh, Spider-Man and Angel are here too, so we 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 definitely recognize them. Spider-Man is in is is from X-Men, right? And Angel is from the Avengers. Uh, no, Spider-Man is from the X-Men. You got that part right. Angel is from Spider-Man. Oh, okay. <laughs> that yeah. makes even more sense. So there's a helicopter that's flying around, and basically, uh, it is taking a woman to Angel's New Mexico uh, retreat. We saw this earlier in X-Men. I don't remember what issue, but this is where uh, Cyclops and uh, Jean Grey got it on on the butt, if you remember. <laughs> we got to mention that butt. <laughs> when in New Mexico, mentioned the butt. And this is uh, Tanya Anderson flying in on a helicopter. And if you remember, Tanya Anderson was... Um, what was that guy's name? Uh, Carl. Carl Lycos. Carl Lycos, mm-hmm. Carl Lycos's, uh girlfriend who we last saw fighting a uh, icicle that was brought up by Iceman. Yeah. As she thought her, her man was dead. Yes. But uh, we find out that she no longer believes that, and she has the photos to prove it. 
and uh, she's going to try to drag Angel into the uh, the Savage Land to find Carl Lycos, who is in a photograph, uh, as I mentioned, standing by Kisar, Lord of the Savage Land. Yeah, and Angel's like, what? Carl Lycos? I know that guy. He's bad news. I don't want anything to do with this case. Okay, fine, I'll help you. <laughs> because she loves him, and he's like, oh, well. <laughs> I'd like to draw your attention, though, to, I think it's page four, and Angel's gigantic nipple. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> do you see that thing? Yeah, that is a large nipple. And if you look at the previous page, I mean, it looks like he's going for a big areola, but it's 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 disproportionately large in this second one. It's a little <laughs> creepy. It looks like it's staring at us. It's it's very large. I am Angel's nipple, and I am looking at you. As Tanya Anderson tells the story, she uh, it's she she there's a panel where Carl Lycos is looking through a J.R.R. Tolkien book. Mm. Yeah, hints of of maybe a character named Sauron. Oh, they spell it out. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, though, in uh, the bustling metropolis that is Manhattan, we find Peter Parker in the offices of the Daily Bugle, and J. Jonah Jameson is screaming because he wants some photos of the Savage Land. And there's only one crack photographer who can get him those photos. It's a guy that was once before at the Savage Land. Now, you've, you're familiar with Spider-Man. Do you remember him visiting the Savage Land? Nope. Okay. Do you? Do you? <laughs> I'm not as familiar with Spider-Man as you are. I mean... What? You, you say that as if I'm like super... I, I've read like the first 10 issues of Spider-Man and then nothing else. Like I don't know. Oh, well, okay. I thought you had read more. However, <laughs> there's still more than I've read. Okay. Uh, I'm sure it's very possible that Spider-Man has been to the Savage Land. Oh, well, he has to have been. <laughs> He's, he's, it's, it mentions it right here. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 103 and 104. There you go. And Peter Parker is like, what? You're going to send me back to Savage Land? Ugh, last time I was there, it sucked. I'm not going. Okay, fine. I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> they offer him money. Yep. Aunt May's so, bills. He's like, J. Jonah Jameson here is a real jerk. He's like, Peter's like, fine, I'll go and take your pictures, but I want money. Lots and lots of money. That's what I want. That's right. So we cut to the uh, back to the helicopter flying into the Savage Land that we opened this comic with, and uh, Angel in his costume, and Tanya Anderson is sitting next to Peter Parker, and um, they get the helicopter gets attacked by a pteranodon who is enormous, a, a pterosaur even, and they um, the the rotor blades uh, get stuck on the pterosaur's head and break off and everybody falls out. We should yeah, we should mention that uh, these people are taking Peter Parker, uh what's her name and uh Angel to meet Kesar. Right. Why does J. Jonah Jameson want them, want him to go? He wants photos. There's an expedition to the Savage Land. Okay, he wants exclusive rights. Yeah. 
So I would have thought this would have been covered by now, but I guess not. <laughs> so Tanya Anderson falls out of the plane. Angel goes in after her and manages to rescue rescue her. The the helicopter blows up, killing the pterosaur. Presumably, uh, you can see its head in the flames. Oh man, that's gruesome. And, and then in a nice, I, I like this panel of uh, Peter Parker. He's doing. He creates a. Uh, parachute out of uh, web blast, web shooters, web webbing, mm-hmm. web web stuff. <laughs> out of spider goo, <laughs> spider glop. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he's sure glad that he decided to wear his web shooters today. Very lucky for him. With Tanya and Angel on the ground, Peter Parker comes uh, up and over a hillside to say, "Hey." I know that there were no parachutes, and there's no possible way that I could have put one on, but I'm okay. Well, no, there there definitely were parachutes because um, you can actually see uh, the pilots in parachutes uh, in, in several of the previous panels. Well, right, but they, they weren't wearing parachutes, Tanya and Peter Parker. Well, right, but maybe, you know, I, I accept this as uh, Peter Parker may have gotten a, a parachute in the nick of time. Why isn't he wearing it right now? He's like, oh, I just dumped it off from the... Oh, those things are heavy. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, so the the pilots uh, landed further away than they did. Uh, Peter is uh, confident that they are calling for help. Uh, they decide to... Well, there's a little argument about whether or not they should stay or go, and uh, they decide to stay for a little while, at least until dark, um, and hopefully the pilots will find some sort of help. So they're they're going to investigate while they have time. And what they discover is the city that uh, the X-Men helped destroy, uh, Garrick's city, another right. mention of good old Garrick. It was in X-Men number 113 through 116. And that's when they get jumped by a bunch of dudes that are riding Tyranidor, Tyrannus, Tyranodons, and... Uh, what else happens here? <laughs> Angel starts getting hypnotized or something. Like something yeah, is. Who's, who's he getting hypnotized by? It, well, I don't know that he's getting hypnotized so much, but it is very much the same effect that was used way, way back when we first met Sauron, where it's kind of that greenish glow that envelops his head. But now there's actually some bubbles around it as well. So it's kind of a different effect. But he doesn't like it at all. So it says that his world goes topsy-turvy. His head and his senses he depends on for survival go haywire. They all go haywire at once. So he doesn't get hypnotized, but he's not really in control of his facilities right now. Do we ever learn what this is? Yes. So they're fighting. Angel goes unconscious, and they they kidnap him. Uh, Peter Parker throws Tanya Anderson over a cliff in order to... uh, he he he's trying to save her in the, the weirdest way possible um, by throwing her off of a cliff. She does manage to turn the fall into a dive. At the bottom of the cliff is a river, um, which apparently Peter Parker remembers, and this enables him to continue battling the bad guys that are attacking him so that Tanya can swim away. Uh, at some point, he changes into his Spider-Man costume in the middle of the ruckus. Which... I don't know why he would do this. I mean, there's no real reason for him to put on his Spidey costume. Yeah, there's nobody around, and now all these guys know that he's Spidey. Well, so far there's nobody. He's he is alone so far. Uh, but well, he's, he's not alone. He's got all these barbarian dudes. Yeah, but they don't know about secret identities or newspapers or TV. 
they don't even know who this is. They're just like, oh, another costume clown in the Savage Land. But, I mean, the point is, is that this is all risk and no reward for Spider-Man. He's with people that are not around him right now, but they might show up and be like, hey, Spider-Man, what? where's, where's, wait a minute, Peter? <laughs> right? What are you doing in the Savage Land, Spider-Man? Is a question that nobody asks in this issue. For the <laughs> exactly. Like, there's only, there's Tanya, but you don't have boobs. There's me, and I have wings, and I'm not really hiding my identity. And then there's Peter, who we can't find. Although I guess there's a couple of pilots, so maybe it could be one of the pilots. It's got to be one of those pilots. Well, Spider-Man gets affected by the same greenish, bubbly effect as well, and he, he his his world goes crazy, and he's kind of unable to get uh, his bearings. And uh, that's when a big barbarian guy uh, sneaks up behind him and hits him over the head. All right. So who do? So we still don't know who is affecting, who's creating creating this. Correct. I'll tell you when we get there, Adam. Don't you worry. Oh, I know who it is. Okay, oh. never mind. <laughs> I take it back. So the big guy that's attacking him, his name is Gaza, and some of us may remember Gaza as one of the mutants that Magneto created. Out of, what, some of the savages? Yeah, we remember them from that and then a follow-up Avengers issue. Yeah, these these guys, I can't remember what they're called, but they've been all over the place. That's right, they did have a little name, didn't they? Yeah, uh, and then after this guy um, gets done with him, another guy comes and starts pummeling Spider-Man, and it's the four-armed Barbarus. And he, too, has a very large nipple problem. <laughs> He does. At least his are sh- shadowed. So if you just glance over the page, you don't really see him as bad as you did Angel's. He kind of looks like his chest looks like the body of a spider. It like the face of a spider. It does. It's it's supposed to be all muscly, but it just kind of looks. It doesn't look good. Like his arms and his face and his head look good and everything, but his chest looks terrible. It looks just like um, lots of cellulose. It's very lumpy. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Tanya is running through the the um, well the swamp when she is attacked by a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and she is hopeful that Kesar will come and save her or avenge them or something. Yes, she's hoping she can bump into Kesar so that he they can, he can help save uh, Peter and Angel. So we cut to where uh that's where we leave off of her with the tyrannosaurus rex she's probably dead and uh last two pages of this issue are spider-man waking up in the lab of brainchild um and also amphibious is there and then vertigo is there and that's where we finally learn who causes the queasiness is this vertigo's first uh, appearance i feel like it is I feel like she's also a replacement for Lorelai. Yeah. And they're just kind of doing a little shuffle, like we're not supposed to notice. Okay. Okay. Because, I mean, true uh, true X-Men fans will know that Vertigo goes on to have a an illustrious villainous career. But uh, if this is her first appearance, well, yay. <laughs> it's certainly her first appearance on this podcast. Unless she was in those Avengers issues, but I don't know. I don't think she was. I really don't, I don't but I guess I don't remember. Either. I think that was Lorelai. Because Lorelai was turned into a baby along with Blob and Magneto and, I believe, Mastermind. Right. Anyhow, uh, yes, Brainchild is blasting Spider-Man with a giant ray gun, and everything goes black. And that's where we leave off the, uh, the first issue, and we cut over to issue number two. Issue number two. Published two months later, uh, May 1982, and this one is the 
the on-sale date is February 9th of 1982. So this is a, a bi-monthly comic book, and my name's still Adam. <laughs> my name is still Jeremy. Uh, this cover is awesome. I love this cover. Uh, this issue is called To Sacrifice My Soul, and yes, this cover is pretty darn cool. So you've got like a mutant, spidery, furry claw thing wearing Spider-Man's outfit attacking Kesar, who's just, he's he's got a knife and he's muscling, he's fighting off this guy. And underneath him is a woman who I, maybe is Tanya? I'm not really sure who it is, but she's got like a loincloth and a, like a, like a, like a leather bikini thing going on. And it's just, it's like fantasy, uh, uh, 50s fantasy sci-fi uh, cover. And in the background, you can see Sauron and Mayor McCheese. <laughs> and I don't, in the lower left-hand corner, I think that's supposed to be Brainchild, but kind of looks like Leprechaun. I don't know. It's just like crazy shadows of bad people in the background. I really want to know who Mayor McCheese is. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's supposed to be Angel. Is, oh, yeah. So, um... Al Milgram is the editor of this comic, and he does this... I'm not going to read it, but he does this very lame kind of nine-panel comic strip between at the beginning of each of these fanfares, except for issue number one. But he does indicate that the paper that these comics on were higher quality. And I wonder, do you know, Adam, was this like a magazine stock, or was it just like thicker comic book paper? Yes, I believe this was a magazine stock. Oh. This would be these would be good issues to have on that nice magazine stock. And there is there is one actually an L. Milgram uh nine panel comic at the end of issue one. Oh, is there? Yeah. Not in not in what I'm reading. It does not feature the clever, well, not so clever Chris Claremont jabs. Oh yes. That's basically what he spends the entire nine panel thing over the next three issues just ripping on Chris Claremont. Uh this this one just talks about um Printing on paper we'd normally reserve for our covers. Oh, okay. Cool. So. Um, something they could charge extra money for. Cha-ching. Well, but I mean, yeah, I guess these are a buck twenty-five when comics are supposed to be, what, like 50 cents? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Holy crap. So this is a big price hike. Yeah, yeah. So if you think about it, like when we were buying comic books, they were 75 cents a piece. So this would be like a two. Well, we bought $2 comics when we were kids. We did. Yeah. All right. So I guess a dollar twenty-five back then would have been like, oh man, this is a this is expensive. But look at the paper, look at the art, look at the colors. It's worth it, man. <laughs> so we return to the Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, about to eat Tanya. I should note that we have not gotten into the credits yet, so it's kind of like a movie thing going on here, a little movie vibe. It's true that, and uh, we learn that she is twenty-seven years old, as intelligent as she is beautiful. And uh, Kazar and Zebu show up. Kazar and Zebu. Tonight, as far as they're concerned, the lizard goes hungry. Don't just stand there, Tonga. Zebu and I could use a hand, and so could the lady. It was a terrible French accent. I tried, though. <laughs> it was. And here we get our credits. Chris Claremont and Michael Golden again. Joe Rolls in lettering. Michael Golden in coloring. Al Negrom editing. And Jim Shooter Chief editing, and Kazar has come prepared with a band of merry warriors. Tonga. Who essentially do nothing. They stand there. Uh, I think uh, Kazar takes out that Tyrannosaurus's eye. Uh, where do you get that from? Doesn't, well, I mean, at the panel, he's like, he jumps up on top of this Tyrannosaurus's head, 
grabs kind of like his eyebrow and he's going in to stab with his knife. I think he's going to stab that eye out. It's quite possible. I don't know what happens, but... In the ruckus, Tanya Anderson uh, knocks out, which causes her to have a flashback of the previous issue, which she awakes from with a startling, no! (laughs) Yep. Um, And then she wakes up in the arms of uh, Carl Lycos. It's true. Carl, oh my darling, my love. And he looks good. He does. Uh, the Carl Lycos I recall was kind of like a skinny, clean-shaven uh, evil guy. Menacing. Maybe not evil, but menacing. This guy is like, I'd go camping with this guy. He's got a big beard he's, on. He's no Kesar, but he is fairly muscular. He's got a nice, like, uh, pretty trees beard growing. Mm-hmm. He's got a welcoming face. Seems hey, like a nice guy. Trust me, I'll take you hiking, teach you how to hunt, and then we'll come back and play cards. It'll be fun. Hey, babe, it's me. <laughs> we get mention of Garak and Zaladane, as well as their fortress. Zaladane, relatively important to this. Does she? Theory. But does she appear at all? She does. Okay. Um, well, we'll get but, there when we get there. Yeah, yeah. I will talk about it later. Uh, <laughs> so they they're at camp talking about what's going on, and they get attacked by again mutants and guys on triceratops. Says. Mm-hmm. This time they're getting attacked by a giant bird, which Tanya immediately recognizes as Angel because it's wearing Angel's old costume. Yeah, he looks like a giant canary. It's, it's really awful. It's, it's it's actually pretty bad. I think uh, Michael Golden was like, this is going to be so cool. And it's not. <laughs> but we do get uh, Spider-Man's incarnation as a giant spider that we saw in the cover. And that's pretty cool. Good, good Lord. Wait, what? How do you? French. Good Lord. Good Lord. <laughs> uh, I can't do it. Good Lord. Good Lord. Good Lord. Have a baguette. Good Lord. Good Lord. <laughs> Uh, he sees the man spider and he has met man spider once before. Um, but I guess, it, I mean, at this point, Angel's a, a mutie, well, a mutant, a mutant, a double mutant now, right? So he's not going to make the connection about Peter Parker and Spider-Man. But Tanya's got to be sitting there being like, what the hell is Spider-Man doing here? Well, it's not Spider-Man. I mean, it's just somebody wearing a Spider-Man costume, which yeah, but... I think somebody actually says later. Why yeah. is that spider wearing a Spider-Man costume? Yeah, but you've got mutated Angel. You're like, that's Angel. Oh, my God. And then you've got mutated Spider-Man. Well, that must just be a mutant Spider-Man wearing a Spider-Man costume. Yeah, but do you think in the Marvel Universe people connect the dots like that? No, people in the Marvel Universe are stupid when it comes to secret identities. <laughs> so they fight. Um, Kesar, or the spider, the man spider, is about to... Uh, Seems to have the upper hand over Kesar, but uh, eventually has a little bit of recognition, and uh, he walks he away. Yeah, and then runs away yeah. as Angel kidnaps Tanya Anderson, and she calls behind her, Carl. Tonga's like, "You cowards!" <laughs> and look, there's a well. I guess that's a Triceratops, but they, yeah, these guys are dinosaur killing fools. They sure are. <laughs> Tonga kind of looks like Turok. It kind of, yeah. So here's where. Because Kesar has torn off a piece of the Spider-Man costume and thinks to himself, it's part of Spider-Man's costume was the monstrosity I fought him. But what power could have changed him so? What fiend could have done that to him? Uh, A very eloquent uh, Kesar 
in these issues. I'm not sure if Kesar has gone through some sort of change. I was going to ask you about that. When we first met him, wasn't he more like caveman-y? Yes, he was net, not this wordy, not, not this eloquent. He did not use as many this many big uh, words. I feel like Kesar has gone over a revision. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. I was wondering because I was like, God, I don't remember. I remember. Well, I also remember like in X-Men number 10, he was kind of like, um, get out and don't come back. Yeah. He seemed more grumpy in the earlier issues. Like, this is my savage land. But Well, after a couple of visits with the X-Men, they're, they're buddies now. I suppose. After he got to see Storm in a bikini. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we turn our attention to, well, actually, they're going to go to the... Um, Zaladane Fortress. They are. And uh, we cut back to Brainchild attempting to do the same thing that he has done to Peter uh, Parker and the Angel. So she does know it's Peter Parker. She says, what have you done to Peter Parker and the Angel? Why have you turned Peter Parker into a giant spider with Spider-Man's costume? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see, that's why this doesn't entirely work for me. But... (laughs) Anyways, uh, yeah, she she uh she's she's wearing next to nothing. Yeah, they've well, she they changed her outfit back when she was in the uh, in the camp with Kesar. Yeah, that's true. So I guess her, her regular outfit got all smelly from the water and the Tyrannosaurus uh, saliva. So the plan here is that Brainchild knows that he can further mutate mutants or genetically altered humans, such as Spider-Man. But what he wants to know is what happens to an ordinary human. Further saying, like, Spider-Man's, or Peter Parker is Spider-Man, because I haven't done this to an ordinary human. Because you see, Miss Anderson, you're my guinea pig. I.e., I've never done this to a human before. What do you mean? Peter Parker's not a human? Nope, she doesn't ask that question. She doesn't get a chance because uh, uh, Carl Lycos, he bursts in on the scene and smacks Amphibious over the head. The idea here being that uh, if you use a genetic transformer on Spider-Man, he turns into a spider. If you use it on Angel, he turns into a bird. I don't know why that makes sense. I guess because he's got wings. Yeah, I guess. So what happens when you use it on a human? We're about to find out. Because even though Carl... Lycos and uh, Kesar have made it to the Garak's old palace. They're too late. Yep. Uh, so, but uh, somebody flips the button and they start irradiating her with whatever they're irradiating her with. And that's when Carl Lycos is like, Tanya! There's some battling. Carl uh, Lycos pulls out a gun and shoots. Uh, what was her name? Vertigo? Vertigo. Vertigo grazes her head, which causes her to fall into unconsciousness. Zebu stru- uh, strikes into action. Jumping. It looks like he's about to put his paw right on Carl Lycos's head. But uh, he goes toe-to-toe with Barbarus, and Barbarus has beaten the crap out of Zebu. And that's that's when Kesar does a very uncharacteristic... Sorry, Charlie, but anyone who hits my cat has to answer to me as well. Mm-hmm. He's very, like, joking. Yeah, yeah. Well. this doesn't seem to be a... This is not the Kesar that we recall. Suddenly he's hip and uh, aware of today's culture. Well, while most of the Savage Land doesn't have television, Kesar does. Yeah, <laughs> he's watched a lot of TV in his time off. 
So meanwhile, the spy, the man spider watches, um, and he he lusts for battle, but he doesn't move. So he's just kind of observing, fighting off these primal tendencies, I guess. He's still having a kind of moral quandary. There's still some Peter Parker inside of him. Angel, there's no there's no Warren Worthington inside of him. He goes in for the attack. Not sure what they're trying to say with that. <laughs> Not sure either. Uh, so Angel and I think it's. Barbarous, yeah, Barbarous uh, double-team Kesar, and they beat him up. But that's when Man-Spider's like, and he pulls Barbarous away, and he throws Barbarous at the machine, actually, and destroys the machine. Barbarous says, glurk. Brainchild is, you know, admittedly upset. Well, as you would be, your, your machine is destroyed. Uh, what at this point has happened to Tanya? Do we have we found out yet? No, no, no not quite yet. Not. What's kind of neat though is that as we go through these Spider-Man quandary scenes, we see kind of a a single toned color um, silhouette, if you will, of Spider-Man kind of emoting for the Man Spider. Just seen that a couple of times here, and uh, he's. He's begging Kesar to kill him. Oh, Kesar, yes, Kesar says no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, my friend, you mustn't despair. There's always hope. We'll find a way. Please. And then we find <laughs> out what happens to a human when you run it through this machine. Apparently, it devolves them into a Neanderthal. Hmm. Never would have guessed. Yeah. So, I don't know, maybe they were... Uh, devolving Spider-Man and Angel, and that's why they're birds and spider monsters? I'm not sure. Carl Lycos comes up with the brilliant deduction that if he were to draw the essence of uh, the, the, the three of Angel, Tanya, and Peter, um, he might be able to revert them. I'm not sure how that works, but he's also worried that he'll turn into Sauron, but he's got to try. Yeah. So then we flip back. So we're kind of going back and forth here. Um, Spider-Man or uh, Kesar decides that, okay, fine, I am going to kill you. Uh, but before Kesar can draw his knife, um, I guess Carl Lycos's mutant draining power drains everybody around him, which includes Peter Parker. So we Well, see- no, first, first he grabs Tanya in the, in the uh, page 14. Yep. And then as he's slightly transforming, you can see that he's got, like, scaly claws now, and he grabs the spider by the head. Okay. I wasn't quite sure what that was, but okay, I can see it. Yeah, those are those are Carl's uh, sore-runny hands. And then at the bottom of the page, he grabs Angel, and he's he's almost, he's pretty much full-on sore-run at this point. Who is this in the bottom right-hand corner? Is that, who is that? That's Kesar. Oh, that's a really bad Kesar. It's got like two-tone white and uh, brown hair. Angel, turning human before my eyes. Well, Carl Lycos is transformed into something else. Why is Peter Parker wearing Spider-Man's uniform? (laughs) It fits so well. (laughs) And that's when after all of that mutant energy has been sucked off of all of those people, uh, Carl Lycos is reborn into Sauron. It's true. So uh, at this point, I can understand why Tanya or Angel wouldn't know that Peter Parker was Spider-Man because they just had their minds uh, messed with. Frazzled. Yeah. Sure. I, I can buy um, that. Kesar probably doesn't know who Peter Parker is, so that's fine. Yep. Um, Sauron, well, 
Who knows? Maybe uh, he forgets things when he turns back to Carl Lycos. So much has happened to him that maybe the last thing he's going to think about is like the spider cloth. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe the series of elements that have occurred here are enough to overshadow any like uh, Spider-Man mystery solvers. So yeah. um, the pilot uh, comes, the pilots finally get a repair helicopter. They make their way to the helipad. One of the two, I don't know. Oh, we should note that Sauron leaves. Yes, you're right. That's a good point. He does take off. He's he's off to do Sauron-y things. Uh, and so Spider-Man is whisked away on the air, on the helicopter. Yes, and Angel goes with him, but Angel promises to come back with the X-Men. Yes. Tanya stays behind in a really nice leopard skin jacket. Yep. She, she looks like a cover model on this. <laughs> Yeah, she decides that she's gonna she she needs to stay because Carl sacrificed him out of love, and uh, so that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and that cuts us to Marvel Fanfare number three, the July nineteen eighty two issue, which was on sale April sixth of nineteen eighty two. We are cruising through nineteen eighty two. I'm still Adam. <laughs> I'm still Jeremy. And this one's called Into the Land of Death. And on the cover of this one, we've got all the mutates. Weren't they called the mutates? Ah, yes. Yes, the Savage Land mutates. So you've got um, Gaza, Amphibious, Barbarous, uh, Vertigo, and in the background uh, you got Sauron. There's a whole bunch of, like, uh, bird things and Wolverine and Colossus and Nightcrawler and Storm. And this one is a... There's a back cover here, too, and we have some, um, I don't know, Bat Boy (laughs) (laughs) and a bunch of uh, Barbarians. And this one is um, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Dave Cockrum, inked by Bob McLeod, lettered by Jim Novak, colored by Glennis Ween, edited by Al Milgram, and uh, editor-in-chief is Jim Shooter. So our staff has changed a little bit here. Yes, we've got uh, Dave Cockrum, not necessarily his best work, but hey. Eh, it's all right. So the Blackbird is flying through a big snowy storm, um, Nightcrawler is flying the plane. Um, I think Cyclops would have come, but he's got a cold. <laughs> Stupid Cyclops. Kitty also would have come, but she somebody's got to take care of Cyclops. <laughs> She's spoon-feeding him chicken noodle soup. <laughs> so uh, Storm is going to try to control this storm to ease um, their entry into the Savage Land. Makes sense. But uh, she's not quite able to do it. Uh, I think she's able to basically, I mean, she's she's not able to control the weather, but she's able to clear it up enough so that they can at least land. Yeah, she gets tossed around the plane and she lands in Peter's lap and she says, Thank you for catching me, Peter. I am all right. Let me up, please. As you wish, Aurora. But I shall hold on to you just in case. I don't want you to notice the boner I have sprouted. <laughs> Her powers give her some empathy with the earth, and she senses a wrongness. Something unnatural is controlling this weather. And uh, if this continues unchecked, the results could be incalculable and devastating. Wow. Yeah. So Angel, I guess, is already here. He welcomes the X-Men to this little military base, wonders where Cyclops is. Hey, you're a chick. Where's Cyclops? We got men thing to talk about. <laughs> um, I lead the X-Men. Oops, sorry. Forgot, it's not 1963 anymore. Old habits die hard, I guess. I still automatically think of him as a boss. 
Because a chick can't be a boss. Even though Black Widow was my boss in the Champions. <laughs> yeah, I'm inconsistent. <laughs> so uh, Angel tries to catch the X-Men up on the goings-on. Yeah, we get we get a flashback of the past two issues. I became a bird creature. Peter Parker became some hideous spider monster <laughs> wearing Spider-Man's costume. I don't know why I'm not connecting this, but <laughs> I don't know. My brain just is blanking out. So he doesn't say that he doesn't say the Spider-Man costume part, but he does say that Parker became some hideous spider monster. And the image depicting this memory is Angel in the background as devolved Angel, and in the foreground it's giant Spider-Man costume spider monster. So to me, like these are Angel's memories of the events as they have occurred, right? <laughs> I guess he'll just never piece it together. <laughs> I just can't put my thumb on it, but something was really weird about that spider monster wearing spider costume who was Peter Parker. Hmm. Well, maybe someday it'll come to me. Angel goes on to continue on with the story. Um, and I think it's a nice touch that in the redrawing here of Sauron, he has his gun holster. Because remember how we've commented in the past, of like, why does Sauron have a gun? Well, we, we saw the last issue that Carl Lycos actually used the gun. It's a nice touch, though. I mean, somebody had to remember that. Ah, every time we've depicted Sauron, he's had a holster with a gun in it. Uh, but as Angel finishes story, uh, his story, an earthquake breaks out. Uh, the base is collapsing due to this earthquake. Colossus is bracing up the roof. Storm realizes that the earthquake, like the storm from previously, is some sort of weird man-made thing. And she's also now having some problems with her um, claustrophobia. Yes. Oh, goddess, will I ever be free of this terror? My claustrophobia, my deadly claustrophobia. <laughs> I, I would have sensed the stress in the fabric of the earth, but felt nothing. There was no stress. Some power, some mechanism, some being deliberately triggered the shock. They hear some tapping behind a wall, and the X-Men kind of work together to free some military men. Yes. Uh, Nightcrawler bamfs into a closed-off area where he says, it's a tight fit, but I can see through the debris to the trapped men. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That just doesn't really ring true to me. Because like, I'm sure he could maybe see that there's an area over there that might have some space, but everything's all like jumbly. Like, there's things sticking out of the wall. He could just appear and, like, oh, darn, there's a pipe sticking out of the wall. I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. It's sticking through my gut. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> well, he, he took a leap of faith. He is a man of the cloth, after all. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> oh, that's right. Um, so, the, yeah, they, the X-Men help clean up uh, some of the people, get get people bandaged up and stuff. Uh, but now it's time to head into the Savage Land. They did some hero work. Yeah. They're heroes. Yeah. Work of the people. So they make their way into the a, a, um, uh, to the Savage Land through one of the cave tunnels. That, there must be many of these now. Have we done Nictvar yet? I think we have. We've done Nictvar. I don't remember what it means, but... No, it says <laughs> not true is what it means. Oh. Right? Besides, if we work best against impossible odds, Nictvar, i.e. not true... Yeah. Good recall. <laughs> I remember things. 
Uh, we get a kind of a half-page spread of the Savage Land and the X-Men looking out and Angel's taken off. It's, it's kind of neat. You don't even notice Angel unless you actually oh, kind yeah, of pay point. attention. This is my kind of world, people. I hope it never changes. And Angel turns around. He's like, if this place turns on you, runt, you're more than welcome to it. He does say that, except he says, if this place turns you on, which is entirely different. Well, whatever. <laughs> but he's... It's completely changed. <laughs> he's continuing their little feud that they've got. There was, there was no need to report in person, Angel. Why didn't you use your radio? Because I wanted to yell at Wolverine. <laughs> I was really mad at him. <laughs> what I found isn't the sort of thing a body can talk about, but my mouth can talk about it, so <laughs> here we go. So he picks up Colossus, uh, well, Peter, because he's not armored up, and Storm flies Wolverine and Nightcrawler over to whatever they saw. Don't we know that Wolverine has a metallic skeleton at this point? Well, it goes back and forth between between being laced and being solid. Has it has, has it been laced? Yes. It's still inconsistent, though. Like, there was an issue where it was laced, and then I swear to God, like, the very next issue they said, like, his bones are made out of adamantium. Regardless, we know he's heavy, but I guess they don't yet. <laughs> nope. Storm should not be carrying him. Nope. Uh, with one arm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's a lot of wind in this Savage Land that you can call upon to kind of keep That's him true. Aloft. I suppose Storm could probably use the powers of of the, the, the wind and yeah, stuff to yeah. help carry people. Uh, there's, okay, there's a, there's a dude with a, with a hatchet who's in the woods, and he's spying on them, and he's waiting for them to, because it's time for them to be destroyed. And I guess what they saw was a, a uh, plundered village with a bunch of crosses in front of it. Oh man, the X Men are sad about this. Storm like clenches her hand, her her head in her hands, and she has she looks aghast, and Peter looks really sad. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's there's some crosses that are shaped crosses, which Wolverine says this reminds me of the future. Oh wait, what? <laughs> I saw this once before. Or no, I didn't see it. I haven't seen it yet, but Jubilee has. I don't know who that is. <laughs> so uh, that's when this dude comes out and attacks him. And it is, uh, it's 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 Gaza, the blind mutant barbarian. You're right. He's one of Brainchild's crew. He's blind, but his mutant uh, power enables him to see physically, which is weird. And he's really big. I didn't realize until this issue that he's twice the size of Nightcrawler. I think he's gone through a growth spurt since we last saw him. <laughs> Two issues ago? <laughs> yes. And so the X-Men are kind of getting their heads or arms around uh, Gaza. It looks like they're about to take him out when all of a sudden Vertigo shows up. It's true, and she, you know she does her usual vertigoian thing, and it looks like uh, the other, some of the other mutants show up. Uh, what is this? Timberius? Didn't he used to be Lupus or something? Oh well. Wasn't there a Lupo? Yeah, I thought that. I thought Lupo was Timberius. Yeah, they just must have given him a new name because they're like, eh, Lupo's stupid. Nobody knows that wolves have to do with Lupo. Was Lupo the master of the wolf pack, though? Or did Lupo just turn into a, a wolf? I don't know. <laughs> I my, guess it... My mutate knowledge is not very extensive. I'm going to say that Timberius is a different character than Lupo. Might as well, because Vertigo seems to be a new character. Yeah, yeah, and is not Lorelei. And really, she's wearing a bathing suit. 
That's her costume, a bathing suit. That's essentially what Lorelai wore, though. The same colors, too. Green, mostly green. Was it? It was green, yeah. Maybe not as much purple. There's like a purple bullseye, like right on her crotch, which is kind of funny. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yes. And so the X-Men are vertigoed, and so they can't concentrate. And that allows the rest of the mutates to kind of get the upper hand. But Nightcrawler takes one last throw of a rock and hits Vertigo in the head, and the X-Men are released from her control. Zonk, says the rock, in a terribly uh, chosen action caption. (laughs) So without Vertigo to kind of keep the X-Men off balance, the X-Men handily take the mutates out. Finally. We're obliged, Elf. Obliged. I figure I speak for my buddies here. We don't like anyone messing with our minds. Really, nobody does. But, you know, I'm not going to say that. (laughs) We don't have words to tell you how we feel about what was done to this village and its people. Because they was wiped out, and that sucks. Brainchild is watching all of this on a monitor, and he's like, Oh, my fellow mutants of being defeated! I like the shot of the wolf running. Looks all weird. Oh, yeah, yeah. And somebody from off-panel is saying, Of course, Brainchild, did you expect any other result? Be patient. Fear not. I will yet be triumphant. I assume that that must be Magneto come to reclaim his mutates. Oh, well, then why didn't you say it with a Jewish accent? Oh, be patient. Fear not. I will be yet triumphant. Uh, Amphibious is the last one that is left, and they get him to talk, basically. I will talk, but out of f- choice, n- 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 not f- f- fear. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, so soon after Sauron's reincarnation, first Kesar and his cursed saber-toothed tiger Zebu, and then his mate Shauna, the so-called she-devil, vanished from the Savage Land. So they went to go explore Pangea. Is that like the rest of the world? I just... Because <laughs> I thought Pangea was the name of like when all the continents were one continent, and that was called Pangea. And then there's like it broke apart into like three pieces. That's called something else. And then, well, so maybe they went back in time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Their disappearance combined with the death of Tonga. Oh man, remember Tonga? Yeah, from last issue. Damn. Uh, okay, so our friend and chief of the Fall People uh, removed the only major obstacle to the conquest of the land. The mutants provided the power to smash any foe, uh, Zaladane, the army, to hold what we had won. See Kazar number five. So presumably Kazar has been reinvented with to be this cool cat in, in his own comic. Yes, and so I'm guessing in Kazar number five, he left with uh, Shauna to go explore Pangea, and that's when Zaladane swooped in and took over. Yes, and Sauron, the leadership that made it all possible. So Zaladane is working with Sauron. Right. So how long has it been since last issue? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you would have to ask. Like a month? Like a year? Because to me it seemed like Angel would maybe go tell the X-Men, the X-Men would hurry over, and it would be like a week later, if 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 not sooner. Well, all of this could have happened in a week. I, yeah, I suppose. Um, it does not say, or at least I don't see it anywhere. No, it does. I don't think it says. Uh, the frog turns his attitude now. He's not scared anymore. He's like, you were doomed. You were doomed, X-Men, the moment you set foot on Soren's domain, ribbit. Want to bet? No snicket. <laughs> 
Angel or Storm commands him to sheath his claws. Um, they're not going to harm the prisoners. Couldn't they have thrown in a snicket? You'd think that they could have thrown in a snicket. You fit it right down in the lower left-hand corner. Snicket. So they're going to wander through the jungle. Do they know where they're going? Uh, I think they're going. They're going to the citadel in the center of one of the great central lakes. They must know where that is. Okay. Storm is kind of kicking herself because she didn't call for reinforcements. Um, she wonders. She thinks something's wrong with her. She's like indecisive. Um, there's some little purple stars that surround Wolverine's head. Like you know, what would you call those? Like sleepy time confusion stars. Yeah, something weird's going on. Something is going on. As as Amphibia says, tired Windrider, perhaps you would like to rest. Untie me, and I will do my best to make that rest permanent. Ribbit. <laughs> Ribbit. <laughs> and that's when he gets the drop on the X-Men, jumps out of Wolverine's um, reach, and kicks him in the face. And then we see a big shadowy outline of a human pterodon. Oh, no, it's giant page spread. Sauron! Oh! With hair. Does Sauron always had hair? I don't think so, but yeah, he definitely has hair here. Which begs the question, like, if he's got hair on the top of his head, what happened to his beard? <laughs> <laughs> that is Well, weird. you know, it's the same thing that happens to Bruce Banner's beard when he has a beard. Uh, oh, that's a good point. Although Hulk recently had a beard. Did which he? Which made no sense. Huh. I think... Bruce Banner's beard goes away when he turns into the Hulk, but if he's the Hulk long enough, the Hulk can grow a beard. <laughs> Hulk doesn't shave. Right. Hulk <laughs> smash, no shave. <laughs> Hulk rip hairs out of face. That hurt Hulk. Hulk mad at Hulk. Hulk smash Hulk. <laughs> Hulk smash Hulk. <laughs> uh, Sauron uses his hypnotic gaze to make everybody see everybody else as scary monsters. Why do they always have to be picking on the hypnotic gaze? <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> Angel freaks out. He's like, no, not again. I won't let you steal my mind again. That was the worst thing that ever happened to me. And Ty tails it. He just books out of there. Soren takes off after him, and then some other dudes arrive who are flying on dragons. Angel's flying as fast as he can, and Apparently, they get into the chilling upper atmosphere um, where Angel now realizes he's probably a little too high. Uh, and so he starts to fall. And it's cold. And his his wings are coated with ice. Yes. But luckily, uh, Sauron is super cold because he's not wearing a shirt. And he starts, he runs away. I assume mm. that Sauron is cold-blooded, so he can probably handle it. Well, apparently not. <laughs> Because Angel afraid of Sauron, Sauron afraid of cold. Well, that's a good point. He does say that right there. Clever boy, Angel luring me into the upper atmospheric chilling boundary. Did you hope to take me unawares and capture me? And then he flies away. But he does not like well, the cold. it worked. So I'm Except leaving. The capture me part. Angel falls to the ground. He crashes through some trees, but he's able to regain his composure and straighten himself out. But it is too little too late. And we cut to Zaladane's palace where the X-Men have been handily defeated. I find this weird. Like, Sauron to me doesn't seem like the type of guy that sits at a throne. Well, you know, if the shoe fits. 
I, I don't know if the shoe fits. I just don't so, know. Like, you like a guy who has hair, but apparently <laughs> he does. So. I don't know. He should be like in a nest somewhere. Like, he doesn't strike me as the guy that's going to work with anybody, let alone Zaladane, and be like, we're going to take over this land for ourselves and be king and queen. It seems to me yeah, like... he's probably going to betray her and eat her later. Right, right. Well, anyways, that's what's happening here. It's uh, it's him and Zaladane sitting at the uh, top of these steps on a platform, taunting the X-Men. He, of course, reveals that the Citadel is surrounded by an energy field that saps the will of all those who approach... My forces are shielded from the effects. You are not. The closer you came, the weaker it made you. So when I finally struck, you were virtually helpless. Dang, says the X-Men. Dang, Mabbit. They all are like, oh, that explains everything. Uh, And so the X-Men are tied to boards, much the same as Angel and Spider-Man were attached to. And Brainchild is now lining up his gun, the Mutant Energy Accelerator on them it should be noted that this is definitely not the same gun no but it's the same idea well the last gun was a genetic transformer Mm -hmm. this is a mutant energy accelerator and the effects are definitely not the same are they well they're similar very similar but nobody's going to turn into an angel or a bird, or a spider, or, like, I would expect Wolverine would turn into a Wolverine. Colossus would turn into, like, a block of steel. <laughs> a little slab. Storm would just turn into a lightning bolt and dissipate. Right. Uh, Nightcrawler turns into noxious a, gas. A little blue guy. Turns into smurf. a goblin. He turns into a smurf. <laughs> uh, so, they line up the gun and shoot it first at um, Colossus. And apparently it hurts. And Colossus says, by the white wolf, if I were free, which I believe is the first time Colossus has said by the white wolf in Marvel fanfare. (laughs) It is definitely the first time he has said it in Marvel fanfare. And uh, as Colossus is being uh, blasted, we cut to black the same way we did with Spider-Man, leading me to believe that, yes, he's going to be transformed into a metal slab. (laughs) Like a a steel girder. Yeah. We cut to Angel, who's on the ground. Um, I guess he he passed out, but he wakes up, and he's under some sort of covering with a glass of water nearby. It's a lean-to. Yes, a lean-to. That's that's the word. I (laughs) had no idea what it was. Uh, It's a miracle. I thought that fall would finish me for sure, but where am I? Whose camp is this? Who's that over there? Oh, how quickly you forget. It's mine, Angel. You? Question mark, exclamation mark, question mark. To be continued. Ah, that uh, that brings us to issue number four of Marvel Fan Four, the September 1982 issue, which was published or on sale June of 8th of 1982. And I'm still Adam. I'm still Jeremy. And before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I do want to make an announcement. And that is about this time, at least in this issue, there is an advertisement for a brand new comic book title, G.I. Joe number one. Oh, really? Yes, in Marvel Fanfare number three. Oh, man. I didn't know. <laughs> they don't include those ads in the uh, omnibus. I'm sure it's not like the first announcement of G.I. Joe number one, but there's an advertisement for it. And that's this is uh, this is what we're going to switch over to doing the G.I. Joe podcast now. So in this issue... Uh, <laughs> this one's titled Lost Souls, by the way. And on the cover of this one, it is 
uh, Angel and Kesar and Zebu and a Storm who's in, I don't know, ceremonial garb or something like that. It's kind of a very similar to her outfit, but kind of Kazar-landed, uh, savage-landed. There's some Garak-looking guys in the back, but they're not oh, Garak. Yeah, they're, they're, everybody looks like Garak guys. There's Barbarus, you've got Zaladane, you've got Vertigo, you've got Gaza, Amphibious, and you've got um, Brainchild. Timberius is standing near Angel on the, the front cover. No Wolverine, no Colossus, and no Nightcrawler. Presumably they have devolved into a Wolverine, a Steel Girder, <laughs> and a Smurf. And... uh uh, Sauron is in the foreground, and if you look at his mouth, the way his mouth is drawn, it looks like like a snickering cat from like an 80s cartoon. Which is the way that I think Sauron should be drawn. <laughs> All the time, just snickering. <laughs> I, I think he... I like Sauron as a cat. <laughs> he doesn't have... A, he has a little hair here, but not as much as we've seen in the comic book. Did you see the, uh, whatever, the Desolation of Smaug? No. Oh, well, Smaug was very cat-like in that, and I thought it worked really well for a dragon to be cat-like. I am going to wait for all three of those movies to come out, and then I am going to just marathon them on my couch. Wow, that's a nine-hour marathon. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure you make uh, breaks for naps. <laughs> Is it boring? No, it's not boring. It's just uh, there are parts of it where you don't need to watch it. <laughs> oh, well, maybe I will find a blog post that'll be like, <laughs> these are the minute marks where you can get up. Then when I go to the bathroom or make snacks, I don't even have to pause the movie. I'll break it down for you. The Hobbit. Uh, the beginning is good, and the Gollum part is good. And then The Hobbit 2, the smog part is good. There you go. You're all set. <laughs> so what have you, is that like 40 minutes worth of time out of six hours? Probably. <laughs> Great. I just I just can't even imagine going to the theater to see those movies, Adam. I know a lot of people did, and a lot of people lined up, and a lot of people loved them, but good God, it just seems like a lot of nothing. Some people saw them in 3D. I can't imagine three hours of 3D. Well, do they show the whole thing in 3D, or do they just show specific scenes in 3D? It's the whole thing. They did, did they shoot it in 3D, or did they just recompose it for 3D? I think they recomposed it because they were using their special 20, uh, 20, 30 frames per second uh, cameras. Mm -hmm. So I think that was their super cool technology. 30 frames? Oh, that's right. Got it. Did you, when you watched it at 30 frames per second, would, did you notice a difference? Was it like so, so much smoother? It was weird, but you forgot about it like really quickly. Did you? Okay. Interesting. Like at first you're like, what's so weird about this? And then you're like, oh yeah, it's the 30 frames per second thing. But they pretty much light it the same way that they light a 24 frames per second film. So you pretty much get lost in that cinematic reality very quickly. Okay. All right. For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking or what we're talking about, <laughs> let's go back to the X-Men. <laughs> yes. G.I. Joe number one. <laughs> uh, so we got Duke. <laughs> Hawk is in this one. Cobra Commander's in it. No Destro in issue number one, but there's the Baroness. But there's the Baroness. Yep, and that's it. Uh, yeah, and it's double-sized. You bet. Issue number two, interestingly, has no Cobra. That's true. It has Snake Eyes and that Eskimo guy. Quinn. Quinn. It's got references to Cobra troops, but no Cobra. Do you think Quinn the Eskimo was a reference to the Bob Dylan song, Quinn the Eskimo? Well, yeah. 
certainly a, a, a an influence. You don't just accidentally name a character Quinn the Eskimo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. We should do uh, this Lost Souls story. This one was written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Paul Smith, inked by Terry Austin, lettered by Janice Chang, uh, colored by Glennis Ween, edited by Al Milgram, and editor-in-chief is Jim Shooter. And uh, again, we got an art change-up, uh, and I like Paul Smith. He's He's pretty good. He is not a Michael Golden, but he's a little bit different than Dave Cockrum. He's a little bit different than Michael Golden, too, but I think his, the quality of the image is at least as good as a Michael Golden. It's a little more cartoony, in my opinion. Yeah, I suppose. But it's still good. Don't get me wrong. It's still good. And in this, uh, uh, the guy that surprised Angel is Kesar and Zebu. And Kesar has killed, I don't know, a lizard that they're going to eat for dinner, maybe. I guess it's a, a gator. I don't know. Welcome back to the land of this living, a stranger. For a while, there's a boo, and I thought you weren't going to make it. <laughs> but you did. Kesar? Kesar? Says Angel. Yeah, he is glad to see Kesar, man. It's been a long time, I guess. Heck, he's glad to see anybody. I'm sure, I was sure that fall would kill me. My wings must have cut my speed enough, and I'm alive. Yay. So the thing that they that that they hunted for, it looks like more of a serpent uh, than a, a gator. But anyways, Kesar field dresses it real quick, and uh, he and Zebu just start eating. <laughs> Rup. Here, Zebu. Dinner. What brought you back to my domain, Angel. So Angel recounts the story. We get a, another panel of Sauron with hair, but this time it's dark green, which is kind of silly looking. <laughs> yeah. At least last issue was black, but... Is, that was It's a three-panel recap of three issues. He doesn't even talk about the Spider-Man stuff. No. like he's for... I just, He just recaps the last issue, really. He's forgotten all about that. Uh, he talks about how they were beaten. Uh, something caused them to be beaten easily. Doesn't quite know what it is. And man, Kesar in this, uh, he is looking like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> He's like pretty boy Floyd all of a sudden. Yeah, so in issue, the first, the Michael Golden issues, he was all rugged and, and just kind of a charming man. But here he's kind of got He-Man bangs. Yeah. <laughs> nipples the size of saucers in the first <laughs> issue, and now he's got regular nipples. Yep. He offers Angel some of the serpent thing, and, and Angel's like... I'm I'm rich. Here, uh, take this leg. <laughs> I prefer my meals cooked. Can't. Too much danger of a fire being spotted by Sauron's scouts. You know, if he absorbs the X-Men's mutant energy, Sauron can increase his own power geometrically. By the time any assistance arrives, he might well be unbeatable. Shoot. <laughs> we should do something about this. But I'm too scared. How was Sauron able to beat uh, to defeat the X-Men? And uh, Angel's like, well, as I said before, I'll say it again, we were all feeling a little lousy, kind of out of sorts. It was an effort for us to think, much less act. That must be it! A, a device! <laughs> or perhaps it's Sauron himself, using hypnosis ability to weaken the resolve of those who invade his territory. Angel's face is very expressive here, and he looks like a... V Old. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you learn, I think, in art class, the more lines you add to a face, the older you make the face look, right? And this, this just looks like a really old face. 
I have suddenly aged. I am Magneto. I am, you'll remember I was the one who came up with this costume in the first place. To make a long story short, uh, Kesar has to convince Angel to face his fear and fight uh, Sauron. They're loading up a trebuchet, it looks like. Angel notices that the, the device or whatever must be off because he's not getting weak. Mm-hmm. Well, that's convenient. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess Sauron's decided, well, we caught all of the X-Men, so turn off the device. But they didn't catch Angel. They're conserving power. <laughs> Maybe the usage of the mutant energy accelerator means they have to turn off the mutant dampener. So Brainchild, I guess, is playing with this thing, and it looks like, and to me, I don't really know what's going on here, but it looks like, yeah, uh, they they transform her back ten or a hundred thousand years ago into a Neanderthal, and then they bring her back to normal. This is very confusing to me. Why do they transfer her backwards and then forwards? I don't know. It has something to do with Sauron being able to steal their powers. But I thought Sauron could steal their powers regardless. Maybe he's just trying to dial in like the ultimate setting for him. I don't know. Maybe. Um, He's going to drain their mutant powers. That's what he says. Um, what happens when Sauron drains powers? Does he turn them into Neanderthals? No. What, what does happen? In, in the old X-Men, all he was doing was making uh, Havoc weak for a little bit, but then Havoc would return back to his normal self. Well, like Havoc nearly died, I believe. So I guess if he drains too much power, he could kill you. But if he drains just enough power, then you're just kind of weak for a while and you recover. So it would make sense if Sauron was devolving them to uh, Neanderthal states and then Brainchild was re-evolving them or re... re I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know either. It doesn't really... Exp- Turning them back to regular people and then that way Sauron would have an unlimited source of power. That's what's happening here. He says... I'll drain the mutant energy from your body. Brainchild's accelerator will once more devolve you into a Neanderthal state. Uh, as barely sentient hominids, the X-Men threat to me will become non-existent. Oh, so I guess they want to dial them back to Neanderthals so that he can just keep draining their power but not killing them, that the X-Men can't resist? Maybe they're just testing the device out. They want to <laughs> yeah. make sure that it works. All right. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter because all of a sudden they launch some of these flaming balls uh, Angel and Kesar at this island fortress. I like this Sauron at the top here. With his mouth wide open and drool connecting his lips. Yeah. I do not like the other Sauron on the page, however, when he's stealing Storm's powers. It's weird. It is a little weird. He looks short. And they're breaking the first rule of Dave Cockrum, which is never draw a tail between his legs. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's not supposed to come out from his ass or something, right? I don't, I don't know. Uh, he's not. He's 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 absorbing Storm's powers now. But yes, he sees Angel and is like from super far away. So I guess he has super vision, just like Angel. Yeah, bird vision. Uh, after he takes some power, he flies up to Zaladane and asks for the guard to be doubled because, well, Kesar and Angel are attacking. Brainchild. Revert the X-Men. At least we won't have to worry about them. So Brainchild's going to turn them into Neanderthals. 
Yes. The the Neanderthal state for the X-Men seems to be so that they're they're useless. Exactly. Yep. So Sauron heads off to go attack Angel. Uh, and I'm not sure if Sauron yet knows that Kesar is in the picture. I don't think he does. I don't think he does either. Yep. So as Angel causes a distraction, Zebu and Kesar, or maybe just no, Zebu and Kesar jump into the water, uh, and they're bound to infiltrate the castle. But then they're attacked by an underwater dinosaur. Uh, as as Zebu is jumping into the water, he says, "Frag." <laughs> which Kesar responds, "Don't give me that. You love swimming. You just hate water. You silly boy." Um. Kisar shops at LL Bean. Well, yeah, as he says, don't don't all uh, Savage Land. <laughs> yes, he says, uh, bless you, LL Bean. At least I have a knife that doesn't break whenever I need it the most. So Kisar did not forge his own knife. He he ordered one through LL Bean. <laughs> Mail order. They ship to the Savage Land. Heck yeah, it's LL Bean. They ship anywhere. <laughs> now, if only the local mail delivery would improve. Ha ha ha. Uh, so Kesar cut that dinosaur's throat. It's too busy dying to bother me anymore. Oh, that's rough. <laughs> it is rough. I like this panel. Um, as they swim to the shore, Zebu has to use his front teeth to pull the um, Kesar out of the water. <laughs> Stop fussing, Zebu. I'm all right, honest. So they're heading towards the castle, and meanwhile, up in the air, Angel and Sauron are battling amongst amongst each other, and um, Angel, I think, wants to fly him back up into the Antarctic jet stream, but this time, Sauron makes eye contact and hypnotizes Angel. Pew! Yep. And so now he has captured Angel, and he's taken him back to the Citadel. Meanwhile, Brainchild has uncuffed Storm and changed her into a sexy Kesar uh, wardrobe. Yeah. Once again, we Chris Claremont is going this direction. He would like some action. Pretty much. <laughs> I don't want to nitpick here, and I guess, you know, it is a comic book and it is for children, but... Brainchild went through all of the effort of... I mean, he's a small dude, right? So he had to, like, drag her from the the board into this bedroom. He had to have... Well, he had the slaves do all the work. Oh. He says in the first panel, the slaves prepared you well, Storm. Ah. Had to have her undressed and then redressed. I mean, that's commitment, I guess, to his his needs. And... Um, he says, my dear, you're in no position to refuse me. Consider the alternative. Would you rather spend life, the rest of your life as a Neanderthal or worse? Storm says, yes. And I don't know. I, this must be like a, because it's more expensive, it's on nicer paper, less ads or whatever. It's, um, maybe it's got more of an adult theme to it, but still. She says, or he says, after, after Storm smacks him in the face, he says that he will devolve her body, but not her brain. So she'll have the consciousness of Storm trapped in the form of a demi-human beast. And that'll show you. Before I'm done, you'll beg me to take you. Chris Claremont. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Well, he's like, what? Uh, he's, he's trying to look for a motivation. Like, what's what's the hook here? What's the plot? And he keeps coming up with this. <laughs> Uh, he calls out for the guards, but the guards don't answer, and he wonders why. And that's when Zed uh, breaks through the door and knocks Brainchild out. We don't actually see it, but it's funny. 
Kesar comes in and saves Storm. Storm hugs Kesar. Uh, Kesar is like, Storm, you stay there. I will deal with Brainchild. He's about to kill Brainchild, but Storm's like, no, we don't kill. Even though he wanted to have me as a sex slave. If our positions were reversed, he wouldn't hesitate in an instant. And I overheard what he was saying. He would do a lot of bad things to you. And yeah. She says, but are we not supposed to be better than he to represent a nobler idea, ideal? And he says, all right, we'll play it your way. Fine. So they make their way into a jail cell where they found Shauna and Tanya Anderson, who have also been devolved into Neanderthals, and they're kind of picking through the grass. One of them's got a banana peel. So we learned in issue two that when Sauron absorbs Neanderthals, or maybe this is just Carl Lycos, I don't know, they revert back to their original forms. Right. That's I'm confused. Uh, and he says here, there isn't a glimmer of intelligence or recognition in her eyes. She's Shauna, yet no traces remain of the woman I love. Honestly, I'm not even sure if it's her, but she's definitely wearing her bikini. <laughs> yes, we can see that clearly. Uh, the process can be reversed, Kesar. She can be restored. I am proof of that. I know, but seeing her like this, imagining what she's just gone through, I'm putting an end to Sauron, to Zaladin, to Brinchal's mob of neo-mutants once and for all. And never help anyone who gets in my way. So I don't know if he's just disgusted by Sean. Is like I can I can never make love to that again. <laughs> <laughs> Even if her body is restored, ew. I will always remember this. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have the Wilhelm scream? <laughs> no, I don't have it loaded up. Oh, darn, this one's perfect. Yarg! It's Nightcrawler screaming. They're using the accelerator on him. Yay! Oh, apparently Nightcrawler turns into a panther, or a bat panther. Yes. I guess it's more of a bat sort of thing. He reminds me of a He-Man villain, but I don't yes. know which. Wasn't there one called, like, Bat-Tor or something like that? <laughs> sure. Bat-Tor. <laughs> Bat-Bat-Man. Batman. It's got the color schemes of uh, the Hordak from the Evil Horde. Yep. Not sure why Nightcrawler has one glove on and one glove off. Didn't Hordak have a white face, though? Yeah, he had, like, the skull mask or something. Yeah. Uh, so Storm sees this, and she screams out, Zeladane, false priestess of a false god, your moment of reckoning is at hand. And I think the toy was gray, and the cartoon was blue for Hordak. You might be right. I don't recall the toy so much, but I do remember the movie. He-Man. The She-Ra movie. She-Ra. Well, I guess the He-Man movie that featured the introduction of She-Ra. Right, and then the Evil Horde were She-Ra villains, which never made sense to me. Right. Um. Yeah. So Zaladane is now working the controls here. Yeah, everybody left, so she's just, like, working the controls, doing her thing. This is, I think, her, her single line in the comic book, all, all four issues. She says, Storm, that Cretan brainchild was so certain he can control you. I knew he would fail. I do not fear you, Outlander. Soran has stripped you of your powers, remember? You are no threat to me. Storm says that she's been underestimated, and she's able to call forth the powers of the weather, and she takes out Zaladane handily. I'm not sure why they bothered getting rid of Storm's powers if she could just call them back. I don't know. <laughs> They're like, well, we're almost at the end of this issue, and it's the end of the four-part arc. Let's just get this thing over with. 
Is this where they introduce it, though? I mean, they say, hey, guess what? You don't have your powers. And she's like, oh, yes, I do. So it's like two panels. Yeah, essentially. It's not even really a setup. (laughs) Um, But she surprised herself. She didn't think she had that kind of strength left in her. So she falls into Kesar's arms. I'll be fine, Kesar. Just need a few moments to catch my breath. Wolverine is rescued by uh, Zebu. Oh, was that Zebu? Hey, you cat. Cripes, your tongue's like sandpaper, but pain's good. Helps me focus. Thoughts lower, lower, lower. (laughs) (laughs) And too low, too low. (laughs) (laughs) Storm turns off the machine, I guess. And Kesar sees some, uh, I don't know if they're mutates or bad guys coming. Wolverine pops his claws and he's... Well, there's Gaza, so it's got to be some combination of... Although the one on the left looks like Electra. Kind of, yeah. Wolverine pops his claws, but his arms are still restrained. Uh, so he has to go a full three panels before Colossus is freed and eventually frees Wolverine so that he can actually use those claws. So all of their powers went away, but apparently they just have to concentrate to get them back. Yep. So Colossus armors up, frees Wolverine. Wolverine, I don't know, presumably kills a bunch of dudes. (laughs) He does a classic Wolverine flying through the air with his claws and arms outstretched. It's a neat panel, but then you're like, how did he do this? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of fighting here that goes on. And it's basically the X-Men and... Zebu and Kesar taking out the mutates. How does he do it without saying alley-oop? That's what I want to know. Or mix me up a fastball special. Oh yeah, I guess Colossus probably threw him. Yeah, but we don't see it. If we don't see it, it doesn't count. He says, how about the pair of us start teaching these lowlifes the error of their ways? So I'm guessing the, the idea here is throw me. Yeah, well, I'm sure you're right. And he gets thrown. Uh, Barbarous and and, uh, uh, Colossus go toe-to-toe. The Lupo guy, Timberius and Kazar fight. Uh, Nightcrawler fights with himself. Yes. Uh, Storm is using the accelerator to return Nightcrawler back to his original form. Is this the correct pattern? A mistake could do Kurt irreparable harm. Why are I not a technician? Um, this, I, I really feel like this is Panthor now. Panthor? Yeah, from Thundercats. Panthro. Panthro. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I didn't really watch Thundercats. Well, I watched Thundercats a lot. Did you see the new Thundercats? No. When they when they when it was all like anime styled. No. A couple of years back. No. Apparently, it was really good, but. It only lasted a season. I'll have to check that out. I was more of a Silverhawks guy. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, I watched I watched Thundercats, but I really got into Silverhawks. I don't know anybody who likes Silverhawks. So. <laughs> you do now, buddy. <laughs> I think I liked them because of the toy. Uh, the toys The toys were, instead of being like three and a half inch like G.I. Joe's, they were like five inches tall. And they were chrome, and they all had little detachable wings. Um, and I liked their little ship that they flew around in. And they had uh, there was a dude whose name was Flashback, and he only showed up every now and again. But he could, like, do a backflip, and when he did a backflip, he went back in time. Whoa. He was awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the pilot of the, of the Silverhawks, he, he had, like, a, an electric guitar gun, so he'd have to play electric guitar in order to shoot the gun. <laughs> 
And then, of course, there was an evil villainess. I can't remember what her name was, but she had like a keytar. And when she played her keytar, that also shot. That sounds awful. <laughs> the, the, those two elements were pretty stupid, but the rest of it was 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 tight. <laughs> Loved me some Silverhawks. What? Oh, uh, Wolverine punches Vertigo in the face, knocking her out. And apparently, Storm did get the pattern correct, and he turns back into Nightcrawler. Yeah. Um, Lorelai, or uh, sorry, uh, Vertigo uh, does not have much. Like, her powers get used most effectively in these four issues, but mostly she just gets knocked out. Yeah. Yep. And she, she well, we'll get to this when we get to it, but she, she changes drastically throughout her run. Like, she's <laughs> she's all pretty and busty in these issues. Um, That doesn't last. Not bad. This is one of the reasons I like the Savage Land so much. A fella can always find himself a Class A roughhouse. <laughs> to each their own, Vulvi. I would rather make love. <laughs> <laughs> I am Kisar, maker of the love. Storm, would you like to make love? No, thanks. <laughs> that is okay. I am Kesar. Yeah, so they uh, pull Nightcrawler down, and Nightcrawler's like, Oh my god, we forgot about Sauron. Look, he's over there. <laughs> All of you, look, over there. And so Sauron throws... Night uh, throws Angel down to an oncoming uh, dinosaur, I think. Water dinosaur, similar to what Kesar killed earlier. Nightcrawler bamps and catches him and then reappears somewhere else, um, even though this this is very murderous to him. And then he says, sadistic schwein. Do you think that's really a German word? Schwein? I don't <laughs> know. Sadistic schwein? Do you think it means swine? I think it probably means, I have no idea. Um, I do know that that is not a catchphrase of Nightcrawlers. <laughs> you know, this was a an area for Chris Claremont to try out new things. Yeah. You know, some of them worked, some of them didn't. By the way, Wolf appears to have caught on. Yes. Maybe he's like, maybe I can get Schwein to catch on. Um, anyways, uh, so Storm eventually whips up an Arctic uh, blizzard to freeze Sauron, which works. Sauron falls from the sky. Uh, Colossus punches him over to Wolverine. Wolverine cuts up his wings. Uh, Colossus like hits the ground to make kind of a avalanche effect, and then the rocks fall on um Sauron, we think he's taken out, but he's not. He's able to climb out of the rocks, and he's like, I'm going to get you, sucker. But <laughs> then off-panel, Storm does something, and he turns back into Carmelikos. Yeah, we 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 basically get a uh, caption that says, Sauron has been hurt, but prior to engaging the angel, he drained the X-Men's, the life of each X-Man. They are barely able to stand, much less fight. And then we see an explosion out of the side of the palace, and we cut to Storm standing over uh, now Carl Lycos. So <laughs> tell, don't show. <laughs> yeah, that that like that's bad. We need to wrap this up. Uh, how about the X Men resolve this off panel? Okay. Yeah, which is weird because there's like two pages left of the comic, and I would have much preferred seeing maybe I don't know a half a page of like what happened, but maybe they're just like leaving the rest of it to your imagination. I have no idea, but anyways, yeah, they. Sauron's done. Uh, and also, as I guess a side effect, all of the mutates, including uh, Vertigo, have turned back into um, swamp savages. 
Well, Kesar did say that he was going to end this now and for good. Mm. So presumably they hooked them up to the machine and uh, unmutated them. So I think it's interesting that uh, Vertigo, her origins are as a swamp person. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that that ever gets mentioned again. I think this is the second time that the mutates have been transferred back to their original forms. For good, yes, I think you are correct. Because I believe in the Avengers issue, they were like, how did they manage to get back by themselves without Magneto or something oh, like that? Oh, yeah, 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 you're right, yep. So Colossus takes that devolving machine and throws it against the wall. It has exploded. Carl Lycos is like, man, I'm bad. Somebody should kill me. What is uh, Tanya wearing? A feather. Yeah. And she's got a it's blanket. Like, it's like she stole a feather dress that only covers her barely. Yeah. She's got to hold it up. And she's got like a purple blanket that's covering her bottom part. So like her underwear fell off and she found a blanket. <laughs> I would be morbidly embarrassed. Somebody give me some pants for God's sake. I don't want to show anyone my goodie bits. Well, it's respectable. Carl Lycos's hands are wrapped in, uh, uh, bandages i presume because he can't control his touching power oh maybe even though he's touched people he touched people in issue one Mm -hmm. successfully um let's see uh what about me i'm deadly as ever i need to absorb life essences to survive yet taking too much transforms me into sauron eventually no matter how hard i resist i will take too much tanya's like don't worry we'll find snancer and uh, Wolverine says, hey, I'll kill him. Don't worry about it. And Storm says, no. <laughs> well, Carl Lycos is like, kill me. Like, some, like, really? Like, this is too much. Kill me. Wolverine's like, I'll do it. And he's got, like, a grin on his face. Like, I want to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and Storm says, no. <laughs> um, Storm says, well, it just so happens that Professor Xavier's been studying Carl's condition. And he believes a cure is possible come on everybody let's go to the mansion suppose he's wrong says Kesar. Eh, one step at a time we'll figure it out so back at the mansion they tie carl Lycos up to a machine and shoot yet another gun <laughs> all these little blaster things that people have and cyclops has a new oh that's not cyclops i thought it was a new visor oh, well. <laughs> nope I wish it was a new visor. It's cool. And we thought that the um, wrapping up of Sauron took place too very quickly. Like, this is really bad. You got this whole buildup. I'm not going to go through it, but there's a lot of dialogue about the professor going like, well, we're going to try, but, man, it's going to be hard, and I've got no promises, and this could kill him, but it might cure him, but it'll probably kill him. But, no, no it's fine. He's good. But wait, <laughs> the tests are negative. <laughs> Like, we're not going to wait a month or something and uh, keep him on electrodes to make sure that he doesn't revert. He's fine. What is the purpose of the golden strap that is holding a car like hose down to the table? So he can't see his wiener. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> it doesn't. It serves no other purpose than to hide his wiener. Pretty much. Because <laughs> it's, it's not keeping him down to the table. There's like a huge gap. He can probably slide out of there. <laughs> Cyclops gets out of bed for this. Uh, he's he's in his bathrobe, but he must be feeling a little bit better. I'm still sick, but I'll come out. <laughs> hey, everybody, I'm not going to say anything. Sprite's there as well. She doesn't say anything, but she's there. Carl, oh, we can be together at last. That is, if you'll still have me. 
want me more than ever, my darling. Charles, X-Men, how can I thank you, repay you? This is the happiest day of my life. So how come everyone's standing around yapping? If we're going to celebrate, let's do it in style. Come on, Elf, you buy the beer. Oh, Logan, I'm broke. Finn. The second half of this Marvel fanfare, which we will not cover, is a Deathlock story. Oh, yeah, I, I think I knew that. Um, I, uh, Schwein is, the translation of Schwein is pig, hog, pork, swine, or bastard. It looks like there's a third story that features uh, Iron Man. Boy, they really packed these pages tight, didn't they? You betcha. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, if you were wondering what had happened to Sauron and the Mutates, you now know. And we know this is probably not the end of any of their stories. No, it just said that uh, the Mutates were done for good and Carl Lycos had been reverted uh, back to Carl Lycos. And the tests were completely positive or negative, one of the two. So that'll never happen again. So I wonder how they're going to explain. Because <laughs> Professor X said that Carl Lycos was cured. Um, so... I wonder if we'll see Carl Lycos again, uh, knowing full well the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that monster story out of the way, uh, Adam, I'd like to bring to your attention an idea that I have. Okay. And it is it is an idea. It is a contest. Ooh. It is a contest. Are there, oh, are there going to be rewards? There's one prize. Rewards? There's one prize. Okay. But but there's well there's multiple prizes, but but for this particular contest there is just one prize. Uh and and here's what it is. I, I went through my X-Men comic book collection and I found that I had a few doubles. And I found that I actually had a few doubles in the time period that we actually are at. So, here is here's the prize, okay? It is a copy of Uncanny X-Men number 153. Huh? Huh? Yeah. And I am going to read from that issue on the podcast, and that can be the issue that you win. And if I was famous, that would mean something, because you could be like a famous person read this comic book. But in this case, you can just say, Jeremy read this comic book. And they'll <laughs> say, who's Jeremy? And you'll be like, uh, never mind. <laughs> so that's the prize. Now, here is the contest. And Adam, you can help me out with this, because I'm kind of making this up on the fly. I want everybody to be able to participate, but what I'd really like this to do is drive up uh, listener base, right? Or uh, our understanding of who's out there in the audience. So without trying to make this too difficult, um, I would like to say that new listeners, if you haven't already liked us on Facebook, which you can do at facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast, do that. There's a second part and I'll get to that in a second. If you haven't left us a five-star review or written a review on iTunes, which you can do by going into iTunes and typing in Danger Room, you could do that. Uh, so if you could do one of those three things, and then if you could email us at DangerRoom at RedCatProductions.com and say, Hey, I liked you, and my name is this, and or I uh, followed you, and my name is this, or I left you an iTunes review. And be honest, because I can tell who's already liked us and who's not liked us and all that sort of stuff. I will put those names into a spreadsheet and then I'll do a little random number generator uh, to pick the winner at random and then you will you will win this comic book. Now, for those of you who already 
are listeners and have already done those things, you've got a couple of options. You, If you've liked us, well, then you could do the iTunes thing. Or if you've done the iTunes thing, then you could like us. Or if you've done those two things, then you could follow us. And if you've done all three of those things, well, then you could leave us a message, 501-GET-X-MEN, and say something that we would that would be podcast-worthy, something that we could put on, something quick, whatever, like, hey, man, like your show, or, or whatever. Uh, people that do... Celebrity imitations. Oh, my gosh, that would be fantastic. Um, the, or your favorite character imitations. Or read a line of dialogue from your favorite issue of X-Men, or maybe 153, and we'll insert it into the... Uh, episode. So now I'm just going all over the place. <laughs> that's that's that, those are all perfect, Adam. And those of you that do 501 get X Men and leave a message, you get double entries, right? Two entries into the competition. And if you also give us a drink idea and a name of a drink, and also what the what that drink would constitute, then uh, you get three entries. Well, well, now now you now you're just going crazy, Adam. <laughs> So let me recap that. Like us at uh, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us at Danger Room Go or leave us a review on iTunes. Go into iTunes and type in Danger Room. Do one of those three things and then send us an email, dangerroom at redcapproductions.com and say, I did that thing that you asked me to do. Here is my name. That name goes into a spreadsheet, which gets randomly selected. Or... Leave us a message, 501-GET-X-MEN. Do any one of those wacky things that Adam said, uh, and based on something, you're either going to get two entries or three entries into that spreadsheet. Then, when we read X-Men 153 on the podcast, uh, this is getting complicated, but I'll keep it all straight. When we're reading X-Men number 53, at the end of the episode, we'll hit the random number generator, and we'll pick the winner, and that person will get the comic book that I read on the podcast. Oh my gosh! Everybody Bam! Got you got that, Adam? Was that that was fairly straightforward? I got it, man. Uh, you got plenty of time. If you got questions, send us an email asking us like, "What did you just say?" Like, I don't get it. Because next week we're gonna not do an uncanny X Men title. We're gonna do something completely not, different. Something completely different, but X Men related. And then we've got to do X Men one fifty one, X Men one fifty two, and then finally X Men one fifty three. So it's like. You've got a few weeks to figure this all out. So ask questions. Uh, put them on Facebook, maybe. Put put your question on Facebook, then we can answer the question on Facebook, and uh, that way other people can get the benefit of seeing the answer. How's that all sound? Sounds good to me. All right. Uh, speaking of reviews, uh, here's a couple of example of five-star reviews that we got. Uh, we've We've got 50 now, 50 reviews for a total of 64 ratings, and... Um, there's one by P. Finnegan 77 titled Simply Awesome, which I hope is a reference back to when people used to say we were awesome all the time and we thought it was funny. <laughs> I still think it's Adam funny. Jeremy share their love of X-Men comics by dedicating each issue to each episode to one issue. The commentary is both insightful and humorous, a good source for those of us wanting to read all of those back issues but haven't quite found the time. Nice. And we got one from Jason it says, keep doing the extra titles, especially when you guys get to New Mutants. It really crosses over with the main title a lot, and it's just really good stuff. Keep up the good work. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, we've we've had this debate. We almost have this debate every week. Uh, New Mutants, I never got into when I was younger, but I know that Chris Claremont kicks that series off, and I know that we're starting to meet some of the characters uh, that will eventually become the New Mutants. So I, I can't promise I'm going to read every issue, 
but I'm probably going to like start. I'm definitely going to read every issue. Um, I've actually started collecting the trade paperback so that I can do it. Um, I don't know how we're going to present it yet, though. Yeah, yeah. So more to come. Yeah, to be determined. Uh, and we got one uh, Facebook uh, comment on one of our posts, and it's from Pat Weapon X Gunter. And he says, sounds like you guys think Dazzler sucks. I think it sucks, assuming the majority of people do. So why do you read it? <laughs> Not trying to be a dick, just wondering why. So I don't know. Why do we do it? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think we do it because we just want to make sure we cover everything. <laughs> yeah, that's oh Well, I'd, yeah. Um, I, that's a good question. Dazzler's going to become a prominent character for a while, but then she becomes not a prominent character. But then I think she kind of has a resurgence as another prominent character. Whatever. This is, this is where she came from. Uh, and so I think what, what's mostly going to be interesting about this is to see some of the inconsistencies in the future. Like with power usage and stuff? Right. They write the character one way, and then when it doesn't work out, they write the character a different way. And then you, you go back and you're like, but wait, she used to do this. And it kind of gives us fodder for inconsistencies, I guess. I don't think it sucks. I just want to put that on the table. Um, I don't know if the majority of people do, but you should let us know. If you if, if everybody thinks it sucks, um, maybe we'll just try to make them shorter. <laughs> Well, here's the deal. I just read the latest issue of Dazzler. The latest issue. I just read issue six. <laughs> the latest issue that I've covered. And I'm not going to do it this week because we're already pretty long. But it was actually pretty good. So you got that to look forward to next week. Sweet. All right, then. Uh, uh, until next time, then, the Danger Room is closed. Danger Room.